Fires, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place that everybody wants to be. You know what it is by now. That is Victory Lane. I'm back. I am not sick from my 15, count them, 15 Martinsville hot dogs. I'm pretty proud of myself for a first-timer. I'm back, and I'm ready to discuss all of that with you. But besides that, we have a pack show. This is probably the most packed show that not just 2.0 has had, but 1.0 as well, because we got so much to get to. We have Tyler Ankrum on the program this week, the 2017 K&M Pro Series East Champion for DGR Crosley, and now he's running full-time in the Gander Outdoors Truck Series for the same team as well. We talked this past weekend at Martinsville, and I'll tell you right now, our conversation was insanely, insanely wide-ranging. I didn't even get to half the things that I wanted to cover because of timing and how off-topic we got but I don't know. I think it was a good interview. I kind of like those types of things where you just kind of get off the reservation with these drivers. So it was fun. He's a really cool guy. Probably one of the most underrated personalities in the garage. But he's young, so a lot of people don't really know about him yet. Plus, we are going to recap the STP 500. Talk about how dominant Brad Keselowski's performance was. Talk about the changes to the 2020 schedule. Not as much as we'll see next year, hopefully. But, man, we we saw a lot of changes. So we'll get to that. We'll preview Texas and Irwindale for the K&M Pro Series West this upcoming weekend. We're going to hear from track president and operator Tim Huddleston. Talked with him this week for a story that's on NASCARHomeTracks.com. And, of course, we'll hit on lug nuts of the week per usual. Go ahead, DW. Get it ripped up. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. STP 500 at Martinsville Speedway. Brad Keselowski, he said, hold my beer to Kyle Busch winning his 200th. And he actually won his 201st career NASCAR National Series race this weekend in the truck race. But Brad just put a whooping on him. Absolutely killed the field. He led 446 of 500 laps, people. That's wild. That's insane. But it's not even the most dominant performance in Martinsville history, though. Because in 1967, Fred Lorenzen led 493 laps. That deserves a holy bejesus. And then it was funny because I asked Brad... Uh, about his dominant performance, and I tweeted that this is the second most dominant performance at Martinsville ever. And then a Twitter troll came in my mentions and corrected me when I said that. He was like, no, uh, it was not the second most dominant performance. So Fred Lorenzen led 493 that one time. He also led 487 in the spring of 64. Junior Johnson led 481 in the fall of 65. Richard Petty led 480 in the fall of 70. Man, nothing like the good old days in NASCAR, right? When nothing was wrong and people led over 480 laps and they lapped the entire field, right? I digress. I digress. Point being, he was probably the quickest car. Brad was, at least. Uh, Chase Elliott, who finished in second place, we'll hear from him in a minute. He was the fastest car for some portions of the race, but the number two earned this one. No doubt about that. The stats show one thing, but Kozlowski never really actually got more than a second and a half away or so away from second place. 
And you would think he, him leading 446 laps that he would just drive away from the field. But it was a mix of this new aerodynamic package, even having an effect on short tracks and Chase Elliott having a really, really quick car at Martinsville as well. But I'll have Brad tell you about it himself. He broke it all down in the media center following his dominant performance, second career win at Martinsville and second win of the season. Yeah, it was a good day. It was a real good day. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the stats maybe look a little bit more dominant than I think it really was. I, I thought Chase was probably the best car most of the day today, and he passed me there with uh, 150 or so to go and uh, thought that might be the end of our day, but I uh, was able to learn a few things from him and, and kind of dissect his strengths and weaknesses and make some adjustments of our own and come back out and, uh, you know, be a little bit better for it. Uh, Pit crew did an excellent job uh, gaining or retaining our track position all day, which is critical here at this racetrack. Uh, I feel like last fall we were probably even a little faster than we were today, and, and we, we lost some spots on that last stop, and it cost us the win. Uh, where today it was, it was the opposite of that. We were able to keep our track position, and uh, that was so, so key to being able to win today because I, I think Chase, if he'd have been out front that run, he'd have drove away from the field with what I saw from his car. But uh, uh, overall, good day. Uh, we really needed this, uh, especially uh, for Reese and Drawtight who are on our car for two races. We're... We're fighting so hard to, to keep sponsors on our car, and you know we have uh, uh, you know some gaps to fill there. And uh, so when we have those and, and we win with some of those partners, that's a really big deal for us. Um, so we're working very hard on that, and um, I'm proud of them and happy for those guys. Um, I'm just happy for Ford as well. Uh, the Mustang is one of those things. I think we started the season with a lot of question marks and a lot of people, you know, asking how the car would come out. And I felt really confident based off of. Uh, some of the things I'd seen on the engineering side uh, before the season start that started that the car would come out and be very strong, and but you just don't know um, until you get on the racetrack. And uh, uh, with the kind of the curveball in the development cycle of the uh, you know 2019 rules package, uh, there were some big question marks, and, and I would say right now it's passing with flying colors. So uh, big day for Ford, big day for our sponsors, recent draw type, big day for me personally to win twice here at Martinsville. It's a track that. Uh, I feel like we, we, we probably could have won like eight races here. <laughs> so it's, it's almost a little embarrassing to me to only have won twice, but uh, I'm still very proud of today and uh, glad to, to come home the winner. His crew chief, Paul Wolf was also a little weary of the number nine of Elliott closing in in the final laps, and he spoke about the handling of the Blue Deuce coming into play due to the lack of the track bar adjuster, which, as a little aside, I think that's probably like one of the most underrated aspects of this entire season. The fact that there's no more track bar adjuster, people forget that a lot. I mean, people could just, drivers that, I should say, could just adjust the cars during the course of a run. If they're too loose, they're too tight, you just go a couple rounds up or a couple rounds down. But now, they don't have that luxury. So, the lack of the track bar adjuster played a big part in Paul Wolf going a certain way on that final adjustment under caution and winning the race off pit road. But hey, to him, a win is a win. It was a great race, obviously, uh, for the two-team. Um, it was tough. Uh, the nine was strong all day, and um, for us, it was really trying to find that right balance between being good uh, on the shorter run uh, versus the long run. Um, you know, this is the first race uh, back to Martinsville without the track bar adjusters, and, you know, I think some of the guys have gotten used to over the last few years of using those as the track and uh, cars take a swing throughout these long runs and being able to have that track bar adjuster in there in the car. Um, not having that today, you kind of had to find a nice compromise between 
um, you know, the, the start of the run to the end of the run. And we seemed pretty good at that uh, the first half of the race. Uh, as the race went on, um, we, we seemed to track tightened up and we didn't seem to be quite fast enough on the short run. And um, as we got towards the closing uh, couple runs, driver wanted me to free it up. Uh, he said he needed to be freer to, to be able to win this race. And, um, you know, we made some small adjustments, but it's hard when you've, you've run, you know, three, 400 laps, you're afraid to go too big and, and uh, get too far on the other side of it. So we made small adjustments. It was enough to hold the nine off on the short run. And then I think the longer run, we, it kind of started to level out. So, um, tough day. It's hard to, hard to be good here for 500 laps. And, um, pit road was a big part of it. Um, the, the guys on pit road were flawless all day. Um, we're able to keep the lead when we came in and then, um, you know, able to come off strong there that uh, one run where the nine let us down. All right, before we get to the rest of the drivers and some of the other top 10, which is some exclusive audio, by the way, from your boy. You heard? Because it's like a whole different thing this year with the uh, media bullpen and stuff. I want to let you hear what Brad Keselowski said about the cars on short tracks with this package, specifically Bristol coming up here in a couple weeks. He talked about it after qualifying, too, basically saying he doesn't know how the tires the cars, moreover the drivers, are going to be able to hold on for 500 laps around Bristol Motor Speedway with this new aerodynamic rules package. You know, the cars are going to be extremely fast. We're going to have a very difficult time keeping the tires on them. The weather will make a big difference. If it's cool, uh, it'll be hard for the track to take rubber. And uh, we'll probably see a, a lot of tire failures. Um, just the cars are going to be so, so fast at Bristol. Um, and, and to run 500 miles, or 500 laps, I should say, at those speeds, it, it'll be kind of like World Outlaws, but a 500-lap race. Uh, very, very fast. Uh, you know, normal racetracks, I think we pull 2.5 to 3 Gs. Bristol is always a step up. With these rules, I'm expecting it to be 3.5 to 4 Gs, uh, which is just going to completely rip your arms apart uh, and if you're ripping your arms apart you're ripping your car apart at the same time the cars are kind of made to fit the drivers so um, if the driver's getting worn out the car's right there with it so uh, we've had a lot of discussions and uh, conversations about probably needing to build a special car for that race but uh, being that we're in a spot where we won two races I, I don't think we'll probably do that we'll probably just run the race and try to survive but uh It'll be a big, big test uh, for the teams and for the drivers for Goodyear uh, because the, the pace uh, should be somewhat outlandish. World of Outlaws for 500 laps, pulling around four Gs in all the corners. That's a big-time yikes, or I guess I should say a big-time sheesh, but it's going to be exciting for sure. I'm, I'm going to be really excited to be there for it, hopefully Hope to God, please, Mother Nature, play nice with us. Because last year I was at Bristol, and I had to fly back on Monday, and I could not stay for the race that got postponed from Sunday to Monday. That's an aside. Chase Elliott, he comes home a career-best second place at Martinsville. Brad and Paul Wolf said that he had the quicker car, and he actually led a handful of laps and won stage two, but it was all for naught at the end. He tried to move his line a little bit towards the end, but did he have anything else for the number two in the closing stages he'll tell you right here i don't know um i tried to you know there i tried to move up or i tried to kind of root him off the bottom there at the beginning of the run and 
Uh, that was probably my best shot. You know, there early I felt like I was a little better than him taking off. And then I thought he got a little better than me through the mid-stage. And then I feel like we we kind of evened out. Um, you know, that one run was able to get by him. It was definitely a, a slight advantage to being out front, being able to work traffic your way. Um, that those guys were already a lap down, so they were being nicer than, you know, the guys would have been if you were coming to lap for the first time, obviously. So, um, yeah, I tried to, tried to move up, tried to get, you know, some runs. Uh, moved up with about five to go and was making a little time, um, but obviously not enough time and, and was just trying to get back to his bumper. You know, I thought maybe I could, you know, root him out of the way or something. It was going to be really hard to drive up next to him and pass him, so... Um, yeah, I was just going to have to get to his bumper and, you know, play some games and hope it went my way. A reminder, folks, we come back here to Martinsville Speedway during the playoffs. And the speed that Chase Elliott had during that race, I should say this past race and last last fall's race, that could perhaps come in handy big time in the fall. Now, it's one thing for the number nine camp to do it. It's another thing for Hendrick Motorsports as a whole to do it because, Jeez, I, I guess my 28-1 to 1 bet on Jimmy Johnson to win did not pan out because a nine-time winner of Martinsville and Jimmy Johnson got lapped, and he finished multiple laps down. It was an insanely strange sight to see the 48 going a lap down at Martinsville, and it wasn't pit strategy or anything. But Chase Elliott led the Hendrick Motorsports Brigade by a huge, huge margin. And like I mentioned right there, he thinks that coming back here and running well this time, coming back is going to pay dividends. Yeah, we did. We had a really, really solid car, and this is the best shot we had to win, uh, you know, to date this season. So when you have cars like that and performances like we did today, you really need to capitalize. Um, you know, obviously with our struggle last week at, at Fontana, that was a bummer. So to come back and and uh, be able to run inside the top five all day long and, and you know, be, I thought, as as competitive as, as the winner of the race was, uh, I think, an improvement. And, you know, ultimately this is an important racetrack, so... You know, coming back here in the fall, hopefully we can uh, run like we did today, maybe a little better, and hopefully we're still a part of the deal to uh, make it matter. Kyle Busch finished third for, get this, his worst National Series finish in three weeks. Think about that. Three weeks, he's basically raced all three races in those three weeks, and he hasn't finished worse than third. Unbelievable. How about that for a stat? My goodness gracious. Let's ask him, could he have done anything else in the closing stages to try to get by the nine and get by the two? Uh, I mean, I had a I had a nose underneath the two there in the middle of three and four, and he just chopped my nose off. And, um, you know, normally when you when you hit a guy, they move out of the way. Uh, instead, it seemed like my car had to move out of the way, and then the nine got by me, so we ended up finishing third. But, um, you know, that was a hell of a lot better day than we probably should have had, and we made the most of our opportunity with our M&M's Camry, and, um, you know, Good, good finish. Does that say more about you or your team? Is it a little bit of both? Uh, I mean, it's definitely the team. I mean, I, I could only do so much there for a while when uh, when I was out there with my hands full there at the midpoint of the race running 12th, you know. So, um, But it's about communication, you know. So I, I have a hand in that and being able to talk to my, my crew chief. Thankful to have Adam Stevens on the box. And um, he made some smart changes there for the second half of the race. Got us way better. And pit crew was awesome today, too. I think we picked up like 12 spots on pit road today. So um, that was a huge help because you couldn't pass on the racetrack. Staying on the topic of what drivers needed in order to catch Brad, Ryan Blaney, his teammate at Penske, he needed some more longer runs, and he needed one more at the end. Now, there weren't many cautions all day, so there were a lot of long runs. I believe there were only two cautions besides stage breaks. One was for Matt Tift, 
Maybe one was for Michael McDowell and one was for Eric Jones, maybe? No, he actually did not bring out one. William Byron did. So make that three, I believe, off the top of my head. So he needed one more long run at the end because the last one was about 50 or so laps. And he's the only Penske driver to not win so far this season. But he comes home in fourth place, another top five for YRB. Long runs. That's what I needed. I needed long runs. And I didn't want to see that last caution. And I was, uh, you know, for like a 110 lap run to the finish, what it was going to be, 120. I was like, man, that's perfect. We're going to we're gonna get him here. And um, our car was just starting to come to us. We just got to third. And caution come out. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to fire off all right. And, and um we didn't, and we kept losing spots on pit road, and that's you can't have that. I mean, we would lose at least one or two spots every time we come down pit road, and that's you can't win races like that. So we got to clean that up. But um, overall, a solid day. Just those guys had a good short run car, and that's just what it came down to. And I was I was more 50 laps or more. But um, last three weeks have been pretty smooth for us. So just have to keep uh, keep having weekends like this, and, and maybe we'll uh, be able to win one of these things. The wins will come, no doubt, for Ryan Blaney. I'm very confident in saying that he will win at least one, possibly multiple races this season, and it's probably going to come really soon, especially given Penske's speed. Unless they don't clean up pit road, and he was not mincing words about his pit crew on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Atlanta and Vegas, we had trouble on pit road, and it took us out of both races. Uh, But we had fast enough cars to win, Um, and we've cleaned that up. Uh, We've cleaned that that part up uh, the last three weeks but you know today we were able to we didn't have any detrimental things happen on pit road but it was enough to really hurt us you know coming in second coming out sixth after the second stage that's no bueno you can't do that and um so just some things we got to clean up a little bit and get our cars a little bit better and just uh, little things here and there we're just working on little stuff which is nice you're not you know completely overhauling everything just uh Need to uh, be a little bit better, but overall a nice day. Nice to have Brad win it, and um, if we couldn't get it, it's nice to see him do it. I was also pretty curious as to driver reaction on how these cars handled and drove with this package, albeit on a short track, because Kyle Busch, you heard it right there, he said that it was so hard to pass. And I asked Blaney what he thought about it, and he said, well, I actually think the opposite. How do the cars today drive differently than they have in the past? Kyle said that it was just so tough to pass after five laps. Um... I thought it was easier to pass after five laps. Um, It was hard to kind of pass everybody on restarts because you were hammered down. Um, I just, I didn't think the cars drove much different. Um, Just the rubber, I felt like the rubber laid down a lot quicker than what it has here in the past. Like it got black really fast and and chunked up. And, uh, you know, I tried to pass Kyle there towards the end of the race before that last caution for 15 laps. And he just had to run the top. And your right sides, if you're on the bottom, you're just getting that clumped up rubber and you just don't have no drive. So that, that's what made it tough to kind of pass cars. You could defend really well. But I thought that was neat. There was two lanes to the racetrack. You could run first or second lane or in the middle. It was it was kind of neat. So it, um, I just felt like the rubber clumped up a little bit more for some reason. I'm not sure why. Clint Boyer won this race last year, and he had a shot to do it again. But two pit road speeding penalties derailed the number 14's day. But this is pretty impressive. He rebounded to finish seventh. And... Like Blaney said, or like Kyle Busch said, I should say, it was not easy to pass. Blaney can think it was easy all he wants, but we didn't see a ton of passing, at least at the front of the field. In the mid-pack and towards the back, there were good, there were some good battles, some beating and banging for position, especially battling for the lucky dog as well. But Clint Boyer just mowed through the field, coming back twice from pit road speeding in the back of the pack. I was impressed that he was able to finish seventh. I, I saw him coming to the media bullpen. I was like, 
Uh, where's the scoring pile on? Where'd he finish? Oh, wow. He rebounded the seventh. He's in the top 10. So it was a very impressive showing for him. But at the end of the day, he had a race-winning car, and he wanted a lot, lot more. Yeah, I just wasn't uh, – I guess we need to get our stuff together on, on uh, you know, being on the same page and, and that pit road speed. I mean, it's such an important thing, such a big part of, of this style of racing where track positions everything. I mean, we, we push it to the limit, but, um, you know, it's, it's just so hard to practice pit road speed. You got trucks on pit road when we're trying to practice that. I mean, I'm not making any excuses. It's just when you're trying to, you know, pinch it uh, for every little thing out of it. Um, it was hard this week to, to practice pit road speed because all the, the stuff on pit road. He was one of four Stuart Haas racing cars to finish inside the top 10. Pretty impressive accomplishment. Kind of like what Thor Sport Racing did on Saturday in the truck race. They put all five of their trucks in the top 10. That's batting 500, man. That's not bad at all. So SHR puts... All four in the top 10. Eric Amarola was another one of those drivers. He came home ninth, sticking kind of with the theme that we're hearing. Again, pit road miscues and some beating and banging, specifically on restarts, which were wild per usual again uh, for Eric Amarola. So a ninth place finish for him and the number 10 crew. Solid, solid day overall. We just lost a lot of track position uh, on pit road today and... Then uh, the 18 got into my left rear quarter on, on one of those restarts. I got together with the 19 off two and had to check up a little bit. And the 18 kind of bonsaied it down in there into turn three and about wiped me out. So uh, I lost, I don't know, 10 or 15 spots. And then we fought track position the rest of the day. Every time we'd uh, pass a bunch of cars and get back up into the top six or seven, we'd, uh, we'd have a horrible pit stop, come back out 13th or 15th. So just a long, long, tough day. Denny Hamlin came home in fifth place, Kevin Harvick sixth, Martin Truex Jr. eighth, and Daniel Suarez tenth. So those are the top ten finishers. The media bullpen is kind of haywire, but in a good way because everybody just comes and you're kind of a free-for-all, get whoever you want, and sometimes the drivers leave before you can get them. So I couldn't get to everybody, unfortunately, but I think I got you a solid amount of audio there. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, whenever I'm at the racetrack, I'll be kind of putting those audio clips in there for you, but when I'm not... Unfortunately, I really won't have access to do so. So if you want to pay me, you can sponsor this podcast. Hit me up at SiegelDavy at gmail.com. That was my first like plug to get a sponsor. Maybe it'll work out. Who knows? But yeah, hit me up. I'll talk about your product. Talk about you, whatever you want. Joey Logano, he actually finished in 19th place. A very uncharacteristic day for him. He started on the pole, though, and that was his fifth pole at Martinsville in the last seven races. But that speed did not translate to the race because he just fell back like a rock and finished almost in outside the top 20. And like I mentioned earlier, Jimmy Johnson, 24th place finish, multiple laps down, so much for my 28-1 to 1 bet that I made at Charlestown. It's just kind of crazy to think about a champion, seven-time champion who used to rule this place and knows it like the back of his hand, could not make anything happen on Sunday. William Byron, his teammate, 22nd. Eric Jones, 30th after a flat tire and then some uh, body damage coming after that. And this race overall, folks, it was it was just okay. Uh, it wasn't amazing. It wasn't terrible. It was just okay. The spring race at Martinsville usually is not as good as the fall race because there's so much more on the line in the fall. There's It's the end of the season. You got a trip to Homestead Miami Speedway on the line, which is no more, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Uh, so I, I was okay with the racing. I wasn't blown out of my seat, but I wasn't really falling asleep, you know, because short tracking is always fun. 
Um, and this is my first time at Martinsville Speedway, and I really enjoyed it. Okay, you want to hear about the hot dogs? I'll tell you about the hot dogs, all right? So I had eight on Saturday. Uh, they were really good. They were not great. Like, they were really good hot dogs. And for $2, it's so worth it. Like, insane bargain there. So then on Sunday, I had seven more. And I actually had like three in a five-minute span. So little behind the scenes here. I wanted to show myself eating a Martinsville hot dog in my post-race video. But the hot dog stand was closed because it was late. So I asked his employee that was leaving. I was like, oh, dude, no, wait, you have any left? So he's like, well, got some behind the trash there. You can go get them. They're all wrapped up by the dumpster. I was like, but are they like, like you said, they are wrapped up, right? They're they're not like bare in the dumpster. He's like, yep, they're all wrapped up. They're in a box back there in the dumpster. So I went back there with Mike Neff, Michael Massey, and Michael Finley from Front Stretch. We saw them in a box. They were still warm. I was like, oh, man, this is a bargain. So I didn't even have to pay my two bucks. So I had a couple before the video. Then I brought them over to my camera and my tripod that was set out on pit road and I was getting ready to pick one up and eat it at the end of my video but I can't I don't have access to see how long the video is when I'm recording it and Twitter since I'm not verified uh, it limits me to two minutes and 20 seconds right so I hope and pray that I hit that 220 mark and then I when I'm done I put my microphone down and the hot dog and I go and look at it and I saw the first two times I went too long because I like to talk apparently so last time, I saved this little nub of a hot dog, the little nub of a wiener, okay? So I finally finished the video quick enough, and then I hold up the hot dog, pick it up from the ground, and I ate it, and it was delicious, and I hope everybody that watched that enjoyed it uh, just as much as I enjoyed eating it. The hot dogs are so good. Like, it's it's two bucks. There's the bun, obviously. If you're not familiar with it, it's a bright, bright pink Jesse Jones hot dog. You got some chili on there, some onions some coleslaw, some mustard. It's delicious. It really is. You have to try it. It's just one of those things that if you go, you have to have them. And next time I go, I don't know how many I'll have, but I just feel like I need to cut back on the carbs. Uh, you know what I mean? As Austin Powers says, carbs are the enemy. Oh, you know. Well, actually, that's fat bastard, so it's not Austin Powers. I digress. All right, you want to talk about the 2020 Cup Series schedule? Let's do it. So this bad boy got released a little earlier than it has in previous years, but I ain't complaining. It gives us a lot of content to talk about, right? Big, big changes happening, more than I expected, to be honest. Daytona still opens up the season. That's good. Then we go out west to Vegas, Fontana, and Phoenix, and then we come back to the East Coast to go to Atlanta. I'm cool with that because Atlanta's been kind of bogged down by the weather. Homestead Miami Speedway gets moved from the season finale to March 22nd. It's not the title race anymore. I'm a little, I'm okay with moving the title race, but Homestead is the best mile and a half track that we have on the NASCAR circuit. Don't just bury it in the middle of March. Make it have some flavor. Give it some flair. Two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! I don't even watch wrestling, but I just did that. Shout out to you, Aaron Litt, if you're listening. So that gets moved to March 22nd. I don't know why they put it in the middle there. I know that Steve O'Donnell said that Fox kind of wanted to experiment with having Homestead on their schedule, so they got that. So then there's some races in between there. You go to Richmond, you go to Texas, you go to some other ones. Martinsville, May 9th, Mother's Day. Wait for it. Under the lights. How do you like that? I am so excited for that. 
when they installed those lights, um, I mean, they spent a lot of money on them. They weren't just going to put them in there to have them for show. They're obviously going to use them for something. So that's going to be great to see. June 27th and 28th, Pocono doubleheader alert, folks. Nope, you did not hear me wrong. I did not stutter. Pocono Raceway will be throwing a doubleheader. We still don't know all the logistics of it, but it's going to be pretty crazy. All right, let's keep rolling on here with the schedule. July 4th weekend will no longer be Daytona. What? It's going to be Indianapolis, the Brickyard 400 on July 4th weekend. What? You messing with tradition? What's going on? Keep rolling along. Daytona will now be August 29th, the last race of the regular season. What? Are you kidding me? This is crazy. So then the playoffs begin at Darlington. What? Who? What is going on here? Darlington opening up the playoffs, and then you got two short tracks to follow that at Richmond and a cutoff race at Bristol? What? What is going on? And then the next round, you go to Las Vegas, you go to Talladega, and then you have the Charlotte Roval as the cutoff, which we kind of saw coming after last year, but that's still a, what? It's going to be crazy. So then the last round before the championship, you go to Kansas, mile and a half. You go to Texas, mile and a half. And then you have Martinsville as the penultimate race of the 2020 season. What? That's a huge cutoff, folks. That is going to be insane. You thought Joey Logano and Martin Shrooks Jr. battling for the win at Martinsville last year was insane to get a trip to Miami? Wait until that is going to be the scenario with everything on the line. Because if they don't win that race and they have to win, they ain't going to be battling for a championship, people. That is going to be absurd. I can see it now. The lights turning on as the race comes to a close. Oh, it's going to be insane. All right, now the moment you've all been waiting for, what is going to be the season finale? You saw it on Twitter earlier this week, but it was officially announced that ISM Raceway out in the desert, Avondale, Arizona by Phoenix is going to be the new site of the championship for a season finale. Mike Helton, NASCAR's president, was there to announce it. And he basically said, look, we put a lot of money ISC has into revamping this uh, racetrack, IS, or I." ISM, I should say, ISC, ISM, all these ISs. They have the naming rights now to it. Um, everything uh, surrounding this racetrack has been on the up and up and top notch. So, And the racing here is pretty damn good too. So why not make it our season finale? All right, I'm going to tell you uh, about a couple other things that are going on with the schedule in terms of what Steve O'Donnell said, who's the, the guy that kind of spearheaded this whole operation. But I'm going to let you hear from him first. Steve O'Donnell was on a teleconference with some media members yesterday to chat about all of these changes. Take a listen to what he said. You know, from our perspective, I think a, a lot of work was done by uh, Ben Kennedy, which is great to see him lean in and continue to do more uh, with the sanctioning body and was a huge asset in getting this done. And I think the biggest um, the biggest compliment is to the racetracks. We have agreements with all of our existing tracks uh, to stay at those venues through 2020 and also an agreement that we could not move a race unless they signed off on it um, more than two weeks. So obviously there are a lot of changes uh, that go outside of that two-week window. The tracks understood our desire to make some bold changes along with our television partners and fans, and, and we think we've come up with a schedule that uh, has some unique changes for the, for the fans in terms of some short tracks, road courses, and also keeps iconic dates where they belong and, and sets us up for the future. I can't let you hear everything he said because we're up against time already. 
But he said a bunch of stuff, okay? S- some little tidbits. Fox wanted Homestead. Um, and NASCAR wants to rotate the championship race to not favor any drivers. And they met, they invested over $100 million in ISM Raceway. It felt natural to bring the championship finale there. And they also said that they're not going to rotate this thing. They are not going to leave Phoenix for a few years. So all of you thinking, oh, well, they're going to rotate the championship race. Mm-mm, not yet, at least for a few years. The Pocono doubleheader, that's crazy. ton of racing is going to be going on that weekend. Arca's going to be there. The trucks are going to be there. Xfinity's going to be there. And Cup is going to be there. Not one race for the Cup Series, but two. It's going to be absurd. I don't know how they're going to get all of that in. Plus, the weather at Pocono is, uh, yeah, not that great. So we'll see how that works out. No logistical announcements on that one yet. But Saturday is going to be one race, and Sunday is going to be one, two. Daytona ending the regular season. Crazy. Steve O'Donnell said that the teams and the drivers wanted that to happen, which I'm a little surprised about uh, because even though they're not restrictor plates anymore, races at Daytona and Talladega kind of throw, I don't really know how to put this, it basically gives everybody a fighter's chance, a puncher's chance. But it's going to be very cool to see because Daytona is obviously our most famous track in NASCAR, and I think that's going to bring a ton, a ton of coverage and hubbub surrounding the end of the regular season leading into the playoffs. Indianapolis Motor Speedway takes over July 4th, which Daytona was, and that's an iconic venue to fill the July 4th slot. That's what Steve O'Donnell said. They wanted an iconic venue, no disrespect to Kentucky or Texas or, you know, New Hampshire, but they weren't just going to put those tracks for July 4th weekend because when people think of July 4th, they think of fireworks, barbecue, grilling, and America, and damn it, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is America. So I just hope the racing reflects the the celebrations that are going on that weekend because in recent years, well, hasn't been great. NBC wanted to end the season on Veterans Day weekend. So that is why the schedule is shortened a tad, which leads me to another point. There are two off weeks in uh, July and August, I believe, and those are because NBC has the rights to the Olympics. And Steve O'Donnell said that, If they were going to have races that weekend or those two weeks, they would have to be on the USA Network and CNBC. And I don't really think anybody wanted to see that. And he also said that it'll give them a chance to showcase the Xfinity and the Truck Series on their own for those two weeks. A couple other things. He said that Daytona was not going to be anywhere else besides the regular season finale. It's too big of a racetrack name-wise to put anywhere else in the schedule. So it had to be on a big slate and a big schedule. There's so, so, so much more. But my thoughts on these changes, guys, overall, I think that they're great. I do. I'm not just standing on my soapbox because I work for NASCAR technically. I do think these are good changes. It's a huge step, huge step in the right direction. Now, is there more to be done? Absolutely, positively. And I think 2021, when the schedule gets a release, will hopefully be more because the sanctioning agreements with the tracks will be up by that point. Steve Phelps, the president, he said, look, I mean, he said everything's on the table. Midweek races, dirt races, uh, doubleheaders. We're seeing a doubleheader. Uh, street courses, like everything is on the table. I would love to see everything incorporated into a 2021 schedule. What do you got to lose? Honestly, like, tell me what you have to lose. NASCAR is not doing great right now. That's no secret. So make some hubbub. Look how good the Roval did last year. That was something when you went out on a limb, Marcus Smith and SMI did it, and it worked. 
Try these things. You won't know until you try. Just like qualifying this year. We're going to talk about that in Lug Nuts. It didn't work, but you won't know until you try. I get you tried it in the truck series and it didn't work. And you kind of saw this coming, but you had to try. And for all the fans, and I know a lot of people say this on Twitter, oh, the fans want change, and then when they get change, they complain. Yeah, because that's what people are going to do. But look, be happy. They are trying. They are changing things. You can applaud them for that. You can't just sit up there and say, oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. Well, you don't have the right, you don't have the resources, and you don't have the balls to do it if you were in that position. So be happy that NASCAR is taking some initiative. They are changing things for the better. There's a couple things that I don't personally like. I personally don't like July 4th moving away from Daytona because that's been tradition since, I don't know, the 70s or 80s. And I don't like Homestead getting buried uh, in March in the schedule. That's too good of a racetrack. I would have personally liked to see Homestead and the regular season. That would have been pretty cool for me too. Big market in Miami. But again, I'm not going to nitpick every little detail. I'm happy with this. It's very cool. I'm glad that NASCAR is taking everything taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and kind of just making all these changes. All right, this is a packed episode. I told you guys it's going to be long. Let's throw it over to my interview with 2017 NASCAR K&M Pro Series East champion Tyler Ankrum. We caught up in between two haulers at Martinsville. I'm still kind of learning how the levels work on this new recorder that I got. Plus, we were using two different microphones, not the same brand, so I think mine picked up some extra background noise when cup practice started. So bear with me on that, but here he is. Really hope you enjoy our conversation. It was it was a really fun one, got a lot of off-topic. And right after that is Tim Huddleston, track operator and president of Irwindale Speedway out in Southern California, right outside of LA. He's a really cool guy. Um, the audio on that one is not great because I basically recorded it on QuickTime audio on my computer and then put him on speakerphone and you could hear him through there. That's how I do all my interviews to transcribe them for NASCAR Home Track. So you're going to hear Tyler Ankrum, then you're going to hear a little vroom vroom, then you're going to hear Tim Huddleston, and I will come back and talk to you about Texas and Irwindale. Hope you enjoy my conversations. Tyler Ankrum, welcome to the Victory Lane podcast. I think you're honored to be on. Is that correct? Oh, this is a podcast? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm super honored. Yeah. That would have been nice to know before we did this. Well, what? Is this going to change your No, not at all. Good, (laughs) good. All right. Well, I told you let's start off talking about your cowboy boots. Yeah. I was going to ask you this question later, but I'll go to it now. So you're from the West Coast. You're from San Bernardino. Correct. So we'll get to how you started with racing out on the West Coast and then came East, but it seems like you're embracing your inner East Coast cowboy here. Well, actually, it's a lot. A lot of things people don't know about me is like my grandpa had a ranch growing up. So, like growing up, it was cowboy. You know, that was all was repeaters and six shooters and riding horses. That's what we did. And you know, it wasn't you know going to. We weren't like the Deegans. We went to Glamis and rode quads and dirt bikes. We <laughs> we rode we roped steers on the weekends. That's what that's what we did. So, uh, we actually have a farm in Mooresville. We have a few. We have some cattle. We're uh, actually looking at getting some more land so we can. I don't know. My dad wants to do 100 head of cattle, which is, you know, it's way too much for me. But right now we have about 20, which is, like, manageable by myself. Cause I was going to say, do you like managing that kind actually, of Actually, it's actually pretty fun. Like, it's peaceful. And, they like, you spend enough time around them. Like, cows are, they're not dumb. I don't know how to say this, but, like, they're. They're not trained like dogs, but right. they're not stupid. They're not stupid. They're not, they're not trained like dogs, but they're not stupid. And they're really curious. Underrated animal. Yeah, yeah. They're really curious, and it gets them in trouble a lot because they knock down fences and they get out, and then they got to round them all back up again. Yeah. But they're really curious. So if you stand there long enough, 
don't move. They're like, who's this dude? Like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but then they look at each well, other. Well, you, you've been with them long enough, so they, oh, yeah. now you have their trust. Yeah. But then they just, like, look at each other. It's like, you think he's one of us? I think he's one of us. And then they walk up to you. They start sniffing you. They try biting your boot off. And they're just, like, turning to pets. You can pet them and ride on them. Like, they're just, I mean, I don't do anything, any of that, but I've seen people do it. So that's why you have the cowboy boots. Yeah. So, they're, so they don't bite your toes yeah. off. Yeah. Or stomp you. Well, I've hey, been, it works. I've been decked a few times by those things. They're big cows. I mean, freaking thing weighs close to a ton. Jeez. I was feeding them one time, and they, they have, like, the sweet feed. And it, it's, like, uh, it's like sugar, molasses. They really need it during the winter. It really, it's like has a lot of high protein, more than grass or hay. So you got to feed them that. And this guy was flying by this gravel road in his truck, and he had a trailer. And this trailer, it was just rattling. There's stuff banging inside of it. Well, it spooked the cows. And I'm standing right in the middle of them, filling their trough. And then, boom! I'm like just knocked out of the way. I'm flying through the air, flipping. Like I got, I got, I got decked so hard, my boots flew off my feet. Ooh. I mean, for Jeez. real. And I'm That's like stuff you see in movies. I like watch go on YouTube and just look up radio or rodeo fails like or just like cowboys getting bucked off or excuse me man it's it's crazy and I'm just laying there on the ground I look up I just got a cow standing over me just licking me I'm like oh my god because I had all the sweet feet all over me because I just got knocked off how is being licked by a cow compared to being licked by a dog dude it's not fun well cows tongues can you are, compare them well a, a dog's tongue is like a human's tongue. It's not. It's like just saliva. It's not yeah. really slimy. A cow's tongue is just slimy, uh, and it's like Elmore's glue. That's the best uh, way to describe it. I guess that's why they put a cow on the logo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try to get back on track here. No pun intended. But we're here at Martinsville Speedway. Um, so this is your first race to kind of begin your full-time NASCAR National Series career. We'll get to your K&N stuff in a little bit, but I know, dude, you have been itching like no other to get in this truck full-time. So. You were first in practice yesterday. Races today. How do you feel about the race car? You know what? Truck, I should truck, say. Truck, yeah, truck. That's going to take me a while. It's going to take you a while, it's, too. It's taken me a long time, too, because even even the switching from the Gander Outdoor or the Camping World to Gander Outdoor, yeah. I'm, like, doing an interview. I was like, yeah, Camping World truck. I mean, Gander Outdoor truck. Even even Nationwide and Xfinity yeah. and, like, Sprint and Monster Cup. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a process so far, but you know what? We are P1 in practice, first practice yesterday. Not a bad start. Not a bad start at all. We walked up really good. And then we figured out our race pace stuff really well. Mm -hmm. We figured out our race pace stuff really well. And that's what we really focused on second practice. And, and you know, that transition from uh, race run to qual mock run, we did a few different things in the second practice. So we weren't as fast. But I think they got it figured out for this morning. I think uh, track position is going to be super important. So mm -hmm. just qualify inside the top 12 is going to be key, I feel like. And actually, like, conservatively being fast I've never heard of that before. Like, yeah. like, cannon racing or super model racing. There's no rounds. It's three laps as hard as you can. That's all. Well, now you got to go three laps as soft as you can, yeah. but still make it. Like somehow, so some you, way. You think that's going to be one of the major transitions for you now? Yeah, like, like qualifying at ninety percent, not one hundred and five percent. I think it's going to be the toughest thing for me. And even so, I mean, the races, I mean, I know truck series races compared to Xfinity and Cup, they're not that long, but yeah. compared to what you've done with the late model stuff and especially k and I mean, these are these are pretty long races, so you're going to yeah. have to learn how to conserve your stuff. Right, and, and that's the different thing is, you know, Superlamp Auto Racing, uh, most races I race on are 200 laps, but those aren't half miles or, you know, quarter miles or, you know, you know three-eighths, you know, you know, small tracks. 
unless you race like Nash, or, you know, All American 400, right. Winchester 400, which are 400 laps. You know, you go to Michigan in 200 lap race. You know, that's two mile race. That's a long race. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's a lot of straightaway, a lot less yeah. corner, but gosh, dang. So I guess my next question on that would be is it is it more of a transition physically for you because i mean you're a fit guy but these these yeah. are longer races yeah gonna take more I, I got beefy arms oh of course yeah especially getting licked by cows that's yeah. gotta that's gotta get you yeah pretty strong but is right. it more physically a thing or is it more mentally kind of pacing yourself mentally and saying all right stage one's done this would be the end of the knn race by now but i got two more to go i think really it's just it's a mental thing really physically i feel like i'm you know at, at not peak performance, but you know, I still enjoy a burger every once in a while. Ideal mailbot. Yeah, right here. dad bot. I got the dad bot. Got a little bit of the ab trim. You got line. a dad bot. I got a grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. But hey, the chicks like that stuff. I don't, it's, it's weird. Like you know, it's a thing now apparently. Yeah, I I know girls that would much rather have a guy with a dad bot that where they can enjoy a burger with him and a milkshake. It's good news but, for us. Yeah. Right. Because we can now not have to work as hard. Oh yeah. Like girls, girls don't realize how good they got it. They they got they can look good with makeup, plastic surgery, you know, hair up and done. Mm-hmm. Guys, they gotta look good without any of that stuff. We gotta go to the gym. We gotta have our hair done. We gotta look have acne gone. We gotta do all that stuff without having any perks. Well, you're of, still a teenager, so you're still like on that stuff. I'm yeah. I'm now 22, so I've moved past my quote unquote Dude, you're teenage three years. You're four years older. Than I know, me. I know, but still, <laughs> you'll you'll learn as you grow up. It's like when you look back on stuff, you're like, wow, was I really worried about that? Yeah. But with that being said. You, you got a point there. You do yeah. have a point. Yeah. All right. Let's get let's get yeah, back, back on, on track, track for the second time. Um, all right. So I talked to you in Las Vegas, and that's when I believe David Gillen was driving the 17 truck, and you were just looking at the truck, qualifying. You're like, man, I want to be in that thing so bad. So now that now that you are going to be in it, like, what are the emotions? I know excitement's one of them. Are you nervous at all? Are you? I mean, uh, wh- what have been the emotions leading up to this weekend? It's it's been weird. You know, I've actually kind of been on a Weight Watchers thing. I've been working out. But I haven't back to the ideal male body. Okay, yeah, we're back. Well, Off I, track again. I I hate running, so all I've been Same. doing I, I all I've been doing is lifting. I just been like swimming and lifting. So all I've done is like all I've done is gain body mass. So I went for like weighing one ninety to like two ten. Bulking up. Bulking up. Oh yeah, big body. I can see it. <laughs> Look at those muscles. I know, right? Good job. But so then we like weighed myself. There's this ideal body weight they want on the or for you to have so they can weigh the truck a certain weight. Yeah. So they're like, dude, you need to lose like 10 pounds. And it's like Monday, I'm like, oh my God. So I've been cutting all this way, like not eating anything. I get to scales, I'm like 200. I'm like, yes, I made hey, it. Hey, you made it. I made I it. I guess no Bartonsville hot dogs for you then this weekend? No, not at all, which sucks. Have you had one before? Yes, I do. Come on. Like, I, I mean, it's my yeah. first time here, so I've never had one. What? Is this, yeah. What? I put my over under originally at like 11 and a half, but I think I'm going to go way under because I'm also trying to watch my weight. Yeah. But at the same time, Barnesville hot dogs are two dollars. That is true. I'm yeah. gonna go off. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, they're good. It's definitely worth the trip to the bathroom right afterwards. But oh, many trips yeah. to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, with multiple. No doubt Trust about me. that. All right. Should we get back on track for yes. the third time? Third okay. time. Third time. Third time. Um, so let's go back to last season. Talk about Canaan. and that's that's how we established our relationship last year. So last year was your rookie year in the KNN series with DGR. You killed the game. You won what was it? Four races. Four races. You only finished outside the top ten twice. Won the championship, your rookie season. I-, I want you to be honest with me. When you went into the season, were you expecting to be that good that fast? Uh, I would be lying if I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, I did not expect to be that good that quick. Uh, but, you know, DJR's got such good equipment. They have such really good guys. My crew chief, Bono, Bono Mannion, 
He's really good at what they do, he does, and he hand-selected hand a team for us this year. And I think we're going to be pretty dangerous once they figure this out halfway through the season. I think we'll be really good. Well, a really good team will be, actually be a threat to win. And I think we're even a threat to win this weekend. I think yeah. considering how good we were in practice, so it's going to be interesting, definitely, to see how how it all folds out. But you know, last year in the Canaan car, it was originally only be, only planned out to be a half a season. Really? So, so I was like, okay, you know, I'm happy with the top five. But you just kept you kept on winning, yeah. and they had to keep it going. Yeah, three races in, I won. I was like, oh boy. You know, there's no stopping this train now. Yeah. There's no brakes. We're going. All gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. So uh, then, you know, we got the three in a row. And then I think before Dover, when we uh, had that tire problem, my average finish was like 3.2. We ended the year at like 4.4 or 4.6. Yeah. And it, that was the better average than Joey Logano, uh, Kyle Larson, and William Byron. So that was, those are really cool stats to see. And I just can't wait for this truck season to get started. You're killing the game in KN. So as you can hear behind me, race cars are on the racetrack. So we'll wrap things up a little early here. I want to get your honest assessment of this season with the trucks. So now you're going to be running full time. I know KN kind of came together very quickly with your success. What are you going to consider a success this season in the truck series? Is it making the playoffs, going deep in the playoffs, winning races? What do you think? I think definitely we're going to win a race. You know, with as good as our team is, I think we can definitely win. But we have to win in order to get rookie of the year and make playoffs, you know. Because you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah. When you're, this is the fourth race of the season. Yeah, four races, ah, you know, that's not really that far behind. But if you look at how competitive it is, it's far behind. Especially when you have rookies like Harris Burton, Sheldon Creed. They run, they run up front practically every week. So it's going to be really tough. And I don't even really think we're going for stage points every race. I think we're going to win. And I think that's going to be the goal for us to make the playoffs and, you know, win Rookie of the Year. Tyler Ankrum, thank you so much for joining Victory Lane. I enjoyed the cow stories. I'm sure we'll check in later on this season. Hopefully we'll have a win by then and maybe we won't be like by any cows. Who knows? Who knows? Honestly, this whole year is going to be a great adventure. I can't wait for it. Thanks, man. Since the k and Pro Series is coming to Irwindale this weekend, I figured I'd talk to you. And I, I know that you'll, you'll kind of help me understand because – to be frank with you, I don't really know the whole story of you in this track besides you kind of becoming the operator as of recently. So if you would, please, I mean, tell me about your connection with Irwindale Speedway from the very beginning. All right. Well, so, you know, as it relates to Irwindale Speedway, we started racing there in 2000 in the lay model division, which was, was the year that, that uh, they opened. And we were competing there in the late model division. Won my very first race there in 2000. And went on to win uh, 45 races and three championships. Uh, we won the Toyota, Toyota All-Star Showdown there. And in about 2003, we ended up starting a driver development program where I ended up going from one car to two cars, and we had other kids drive for us. And then we ended up going all the way. In 2009, we had 12 cars that we competed at that speedway, from Bandoleros all the way up to uh, Lay Models. Vision. It was, it was pretty wild. Drivers like Cole Custer and Ryan Reed and Dylan Lupton, and lots of different drivers have all you know come out of 
our driver development program there. Mm-hmm. And when it ba- went bankrupt, and when it when it closed down, I don't like to use the term bankrupt. When it closed down in 2012, the first time we were really close to getting it then, um, but then we ended up, you know, not getting it and kind of working closely with the guy that did. And uh, we competed there for five years during that time, still with our driver development tr- program. And that's when my son ended up winning three championships. And, you know, I think we're tied or he's one ahead of me. I'm not sure on the, on the win list. <laughs> and uh, then uh, he ended up, you know, it's kind of hard to say, you know, I don't know what politically the right, right answers were, are, but. He ended up not staying there, I guess you might say. I don't know what the right way to say it is, but yeah, I guess he decided to leave or whatever. So on Christmas Eve 2017, uh, we bought all the assets on the property and uh, put a, a lease together and uh, started operating it in 2018. Very cool. I mean, Before that, I promoted like five events there. I promoted three other K&N races okay. in conjunction with Joe McAnally, a couple of Southwest Tour races, and four um, celebrity races where we brought celebrities in to drive cars and raise money for charity and all that kind of stuff. So I basically rented the facility and just put on events. Seems like you've kind of done it all there. So then I guess, yes. I, I guess my next yes. question is, why was it so important for you to come in on Christmas Eve 2017 and do what you did at that point and kind of take this whole operation over? Why was it so important to you? Well, for me, you know, I, you know, I started my racing career in 1987 as a high school auto shop project. Me and three buddies built a car in the high school auto shop under the direction of the auto shop teacher, and we took it out to the old famed Saga Speedway. And I met my wife there at Saga Speedway, and, you know, for us, racing has always kind of just been our, you know, it's what we do. It's our family thing. Right. And when we started racing at Irwindale, my kids grew up in the grandstands at Irwindale Speedway. I mean, my son Trevor, from the time he was, you know, three years old, was in the grandstand at, at Irwindale Speedway, wore a little M&M's driving suit, <laughs> you know, at a costume from a costume store yeah. every Saturday night. I mean, it was just kind of what we did. And there's so many great people there because most of the staff is still there. I was able to keep a lot of the existing staff whom I already worked with on a day-to-day basis already. You know what I mean? So for us, I I raised my family there. There were so many good people there. And it's a 65-acre gorgeous facility that was built by Jim Williams, who's just an amazing guy to put all, all of his money into building that place. And... I knew that if it went away, never again in anybody's lifetime would there be a racetrack in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. It's just not possible. And and hopefully it never does go away, but I know that you could never, ever again build that facility in the city of Los Angeles because land is too valuable and it's too hard to come by. To, to be able to build it. So I know that we've just got to say, you know, we've got to keep it there. That was going to be another one of my questions was how important it is to have racing 
at Orondale Speedway in the Los Angeles area and why this place is so essential to racing because full disclosure I'm from the East Coast I'm I'm living in the Washington right. DC area so I'm not I'm not super in tune with one the West Coast racing culture but two Irwindale Speedway in general so you kind of answered it there but it just seems so important it's kind of built within the fabric of the West Coast uh, racing community absolutely I mean when we lost Saga Speedway which was here since the 50s and when we lost Saga Speedway in 1994 there was a huge void for five years um, until the promoter at Saga Speedway uh, Ray Wilkins and a gentleman named Jim Williams who owns a company called Golden State Foods, which was McDonald's, um, built Irwindale Speedway. There was a huge void in Southern California. We just didn't have it. You know, the Central Coast, or Central California always had, you know, Mesa Marin or now Bakersfield uh, Raceway, uh-huh. Kern County Raceway. Um, but as far as L.A., that, that's it. There's nothing else. I and mean, there's 18 million people in the city of Los Angeles. Um, now, it is a hard sale, a lot of people but there's a lot to compete with yeah you know what I mean? yeah you got that ocean that's free right down the street and disneyland and all those other things but motorsports is still alive in la and and there's still a huge uh group of, of in, automotive enthusiasts in la so we've got an eight mile drag strip there we've got a huge program for keeping kids off the street and keep getting them into drag racing and getting them into stuff we've got an enduro division now where you basically can run a $500 stock Honda Civic. And, you know, for me, the, the, the hardest thing about racing and, and stock car racing today is what I call the barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. It is too hard for people that don't have the last name of, a, of somebody that's been doing it forever or an uncle or a friend or a buddy that's been in racing forever. It's a really hard to get in. You know, to get jumped in to be knowing how to do a stock car is really hard to do. Yeah. So so we were adamant about trying to create. I mean, I grew up, I raced the street stock division, and it was a 69 Chevelle. Well, there is no more 69 Chevelles, and you don't <laughs> want to take them and cut them up and make them race cars, right? So, you know, what what's today's version of a 69 Chevelle? Well, it's, you know, a Honda Civic, a Toyota Camry. So, so our enduro division is like 35 cars strong. And the first thing I did was actually make it a NASCAR sanctioned division. Um, so for a thousand bucks, you could become a NASCAR driver in our enduro division, which is our entry level deal. Sign me up. Um, yep. Let's go. Come on out. <laughs> I got plenty of them. Yeah. I built, I built 10 house cars that the track owns and I, and, you know, any given time I'll put anybody in them, you know, come on out, you know, here's a helmet, go, go drive a race car. Just trying to get because for me, it's it, I started when I was a kid, and I was so thankful that I had an auto shop teacher that was passionate about racing that taught us what it was like to, to be in racing. And for me, I, I've got every business I've ever had, I, it's always surrounded by racing, right? You know, I still have an auto parts distribution business, and racing is a huge part of it. You know what I mean? I, so for me, all of the businesses I've ever been in, I, I've used racing as a nucleus to to. A uh, catalyst to keep those businesses going, including today. So let's talk about this weekend coming up specifically sure. with the KM Pro Series. I mean, I, I know obviously the series didn't race at Irwindale last year. So what is the preparation that kind of goes into 
a relatively huge weekend like this, especially after not having a race there last year. What's the preparation like? Well, we've been working really hard. We wanted to make sure that, you know, the place was tidy and perfect. We've been painting everything we could paint, getting all of our sponsor billboards right because the TV is going to be there. Um, We've got radio spots going, um, you know, 25 a day on several different radio stations right now trying to build awareness. Um, But we've basically been promoted for a long time. We've got um, NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. coming in. So cool. Because, you know, for me – you know, Saga Speedway is where I grew up, and Ron Hornady was our hero. I mean, he was our guy. He was the the local guy that made it for all of us. Um, so it was a natural for us to call Ron and say, look, Ron, you know, we're going to have this weekend, we're going to have a Saga Speedway reunion, and we're inviting all the old-timers that raced at Saga Speedway, which my father-in-law was a you know five-time NASCAR champion at Saga Speedway. And, you know, I met my wife there and the whole thing, so we were like, building this whole event around the Saugus reunion, the Canaan race. Um, we've got a, a fireworks show that's going to rival any 4th of July. Um, and we've also got, uh, we're combining it with our night of destruction. So kind of probably doing something. I don't know if anybody else has done before, but we're, we're going to run in the past. We do a really good job at Irwindale Speedway selling out our night of destruction, right? People come to watch just craziness. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to have a figure eight race. We're going to have a demolition trailer race. We're going to have a jet car burn down. I mean, we got all that craziness going on. But I wanted these people to see what real short track stock car racing is all about. Yeah. So, so that's why, because I knew I could sell it out and put a lot of people on the grandstand. I, I wanted to make sure that they saw some of the best short track racing in the country. So that, that's why we combined it with Canyon Knight um, to really put on, you know, just a, a, an unbelievable show. I mean, we've got stuff that, that we're going to try to put in this uh, three-hour night that's probably a five-hour worth of stuff, but we're going to make it cool. I'll get you out of here on this. I know that you watch your son Trevor race all the time in a bunch of different divisions all over the country, but how cool is it going to be to see your boy racing in the K&N series at Irwindale, somewhere where I know that he's experienced a lot of success, just like you. It must make you pretty proud. Bring a smile to your face. Oh, let me tell you, it's going to be just amazing. Super excited about it. Um, one of my other many duties at the racetrack is I'm the on-track announcer, right? So I'm a crazy guy on a microphone interviewing the winners after the race. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's one place I hope to see my son at the end of the night, but, uh, just having a, a good race will be good good enough for me because I know that, you know, I always wanted to drive k n as a kid, and when they used to come to Irwindale, it was an amazing treat. And uh, what, a, what a better opportunity to do it is uh, now that we're running it. Tim, thank you so much for your time. You I bet. will see you here in a few days out west. Really looking forward to it. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, pal. Thank you, man. Doggy, this show is packed. It's a long one. I, I I knew I said at the beginning when I was starting this venture that I wanted them to be around like 30 minutes, but I just there's so much I want to tell you guys. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. Uh, okay, looking ahead, Texas Motor Speedway and Irwindale, the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500, 500 miles, 334 laps around Texas Motor Speedway, one and a half mile track. Don't know why it's 500 miles. Should be 400, but hopefully that'll change in the 2021 schedule. Kyle Busch going for three in one weekend. He's running the Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup races. 
Bubba Wallace back in the 22 truck for AM Racing after he drove it at Martinsville this past weekend. Race is going to be around 3.30 Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. Kyle Busch defending winner of the event. And I think I saw a stat. If you want to win at Texas, you're going to have to qualify well. I believe out of the last seven races there, something like that, uh, the winner has come from the first three rows in the top six. So if you want to qualify well, you're probably going to have a shot to win. Now, my neck of the woods, the Irwindale Speedway. I was going to call it the Irwindale 150, but the name actually got changed to the Enos Napa Auto 150 at Irwindale Speedway. So the K&M Pro Series West did not visit this track last season, but they did in 2017 and a bunch of years prior to that. And Bill McAnally Racing dominated per usual. Todd Gillen won in 2017. He won in 2016. And he won in 2015. Chris Eggleston won before that. And Patrick something. I forget his name, but he drove for BMR. He won the year before that. So they won five races in a row there. I'm glad it's back on the schedule. Really looking forward to checking it out this upcoming weekend in L.A. I don't know a ton about West Coast racing, as you heard me talk with Tim Huddleston. But I know that this track is a big, big deal. It's been open and closed a handful of times. But Tim and Bob Brancati... They were among a group who have kind of revived the whole track, and it's back up and running, thankfully. Save short track. Shout out to Ryan Vargas. Uh, in real life, they're literally saving short tracks. Go. Go there. Um, you know, Support your local short tracks, whether it's Irwindale, whether it's somewhere on the East Coast. Go and support them. Um, so Tim used to go, and now he bought, now he operates it. it. It's pretty crazy. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with him. Uh, so like I said, BMR is going to be tough to beat. Haley Deegan won in Las Vegas. Derek Krause is the best all-around driver in the K&N series this year. Won at New Smyrna to open up the East season. Brittany Zamora tested, and he's, and she said that all the drivers there, the BMR drivers at Irwindale, were within two-tenths of a second of each other. Crazy, crazy close. Tanner Gray is going to be there, a K&N Pro Series East regular. It's going to be a couple guys making their K&N Pro Series debuts. Cody Vanderwall with Levine Racing will also be there, and he's probably going to be tough to beat. Joey Tanner is going to be there for Jefferson Pitts Racing. Um, he might run the full schedule. Going to try to catch up with him this weekend and talk about that. You can check out NASCARHomeTracks.com. Uh, all the information there is in Pit Box, uh, links to the entry list and race center, and a couple features as well. Uh, did a feature on Tim Huddleston. Uh, really liked how that came out. I thought it was really cool. Something different than what I usually have been doing, kind of profiling drivers and stuff, but I enjoyed that. So that race is on Saturday night. Live on fanschoice.tv. They have the coverage for you. It's free to watch. All you got to do is sign up for an account. It's totally free. Uh, and I also have the live coverage for you. I'll be tweeting uh, at NASCAR Home Track on Twitter and writing some articles, doing some videos, all that mumbo jumbo stuff. So it should be fun. Hope to see you guys out there at Irwindale Speedway in California. If you can't make it, please tune in and uh, I hope that you enjoy it. Log Nuts of the Week. Cue the music. Angelo Rook and Nice Motorsports announced a 12-race deal in the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series. She actually surprised some people with her performance at Daytona earlier this season. So we'll see how she can do driving for the team that Ross Chastain makes look like Kyle Busch Motorsports. LOL. It was kind of funny. Michael Massey was like, I can't wait to see Ross Chastain battling for the win in a Nice truck and Angelo Rook trying to stay two laps down. I digress, though. Here she was in the media center talking about this opportunity that was presented to her. It's been a dream come true for me to be offered to run uh, with an amazing team. 
and Al himself being the only veteran team owner out there in NASCAR. Um, I'm just blessed to be a part of it, so I'm super excited. Uh, we'll start the we'll start this uh, first race off in Texas. So. Penalty report from this past weekend, Danny Stockman, crew chief for Austin Dillon, Michael Kelly, crew chief for Matt Tift, and Tristan Smith, atop the pit box for Ryan Priest, have each been fined $10,000 for one loose lug nut in post-race inspection. And Rudy Fugel also had a loose lug nut for Kyle Busch's truck in the truck race. He was fined $2,500. Qualifying format for the Cup Series has been changed up a little bit. There's a lot of mumbo jumbo, but here are the basics, all right? going to be a designated waiting area for all cars at the racetrack if you leave that designated waiting area during the round you're going no ifs ands or buts about it you leave you start rolling you are going to make your lap and if you don't well you don't make it in time or you don't try to go nascar is going to penalize you by saying you didn't complete a lap in that round and if if it's the last round and you don't complete a a lap you won't start 12 you will be dead last They said improper staging and excessive waiting will be strictly enforced. We did not see it this past weekend at Martinsville, but we will probably see it this upcoming weekend at Texas and moving forward. That'll wrap things up for episode four, Quattro, the Kevin Harvick episode of Victory Lane 2.0. I'm sorry it's kind of long. We won't keep it this way in the future, but I wanted you to hear from Tim Huddleston because he's a really cool guy and I liked what he had to say. Hope you enjoyed my conversation about cows licking faces with Tyler Ankrum and as well as Tim Huddleston. Both were fun guys to talk to. Uh, Like I said, Tyler, one of the more underrated personalities in the NASCAR garage, but people will discover him soon. Next week on the podcast, we have Johnny Sauter, as well as some exclusive audio from Irwindale Speedway from the top three finishers, possibly some more drivers as well. Please, as always, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I know it sounds trivial, but it really does help me and uh, get my podcast discovered. I'm working hard for you guys out here. I really, really am in between all my stuff going on at NBC Sports Washington, NASCAR, and Front Stretch. By the way, got a one-on-one interview coming up with Martin Truex Jr. on camera in studio at NBC Sports Washington this week. So be on the lookout for that. Hopefully later this week, maybe sometime early next week. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We have it all going for us here in Victory Lane, as we always do. As I always end it, I say peace and love, my homies, and I will see you next week.